The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today's scripture. Please help us to understand it clearly and know how best to apply it to our individual lives. We pray for wisdom and guidance in these challenging times of isolation. Show us how to reach out to others in meaningful and compassionate ways. Please teach us your ways through your word and through prayer. And it's in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, Andrea. Welcome to our live stream. If you are on Facebook right now, YouTube, wherever you're at, I just want to welcome you and just say, hey, we're in this together um, and we care about you. We we, want to hear from you and we want to interact with you. Uh, So just glad that you're out there right now. And, you know, here's the the thing that I've been thinking about this week. It's this, that um, this too shall pass. You know, this too shall pass. Um, but this season for us to be able to connect, to be able to, to still interact with one another is, is super important. And, um, and so if you've got your Bible today, you can break it out. If you're with your family right now, uh, we just want this time to be a time for you to be able to, to really connect with God's word. But also, uh, I want to encourage you with this, uh, to equip your family with the gospel. You know, one of the things that we've been doing is hashtag Memorize It Monday, and I I've just been uh, really just encouraged by seeing families and, and people really coming together and uh, around the Word of God and memorizing the Word of God together. And so this week, my family got to do that. And we're going to do that every week, and we're going to be posting it. So I just encourage you to do that as well. All right, so we are going to be continuing in our series, uh, The Sermon on the Mount. And just today, our, our text is going to be from Matthew uh, chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. Um, and here's the message for today. Uh, two paths. Two paths. You know, as Andrew was reading, one of the things that you could see is Jesus was giving us uh, just two descriptions of, of different paths that we can take. And so as we look at the word today, uh, we're going to see uh, those two paths fleshed out. 
Now, in 2011, uh, John Lynch wrote a book entitled The Cure, and so this is the book that the men are going together, but I encourage you uh, that, that women, everybody, get together and really look at this book because I think it's super helpful for us. But um, in this book, it, it's about a man's journey to, to find God. And along the way, this man is presented with two paths. Uh, one of those paths is to please God, and the other path is to trust God. And so he has this struggle. He says, which path should I take? And he eventually takes the path of pleasing God. And he ends up in this room, uh, the room of good intentions. Now, in this room, um, everyone wears a mask and pretends that they are better and holier than they really are. Now, out of frustration, the man gets to the point where he leaves the room and, and goes down the path again to this crossroads. And he says, okay, let me try this trusting God part. And so he walks down the path and he gets to this path, uh, to this room called the room of grace. And in this room, he finds people who are honest with their faults and look to God for the solution. And here's what John Lynch writes in the book. He says, those in the room of grace are continually allowing God to work on removing the veil from their eyes. Light pours in and they are in the process of being freed to live beyond preoccupation over the next failure. Those in the room of good intentions are rarely willing to confront their sin. They're too busy covering their tracks and grinding it out against temptation. The great regret is they know they're already, they've already given themselves permission to fail. Now, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, what we've seen is that Jesus gives us these really high and, and lofty expectations. And what we can do with that is we can look at it and say, you know what, I'm going to do it on my own strength. Or we can say, I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to look to him for the answer, for the solution, for the grace to live this out. You see, everything that's written in the, the Sermon on the Mount is the way that God intended us to live. It's good. But it's not good when we try to pretend like we're something that we're not. And so as we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, my question is this to you today. What path are you on? You know, what path are you on? As, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Will you look at this and say, you know what, I'm going to try it on my own strength. I'm going to try to please God. Or will you trust God? Will you trust that he could be enough for you today? Now, over this year, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, and we looked at how Jesus' words give us clarity on what it looks like to be an authentic Christian. You see, one of the things that uh, today many believe is that, you know, well, Christians, they're hypocrites. They don't really live this stuff out. There's really no change in their life. But what we want to see is that there's actual change in the life of Christians. And that's what Jesus intends as he gives the Sermon on the Mount. In today's passage, Jesus presents to us two paths that will either lead to life or destruction. D.A. Carson said this about this verse. He says, nothing could be more calamitous than to meditate long and hard on Matthew 5 through 7 and then to resolve to improve a little. Get that? Improve a little. The discipleship which Jesus requires is absolute, radical in the sense 
that it gets to the root of human conduct and to the root of relationship between God and men. A person either enters the kingdom or he does not. He walks the road that leads to life or he walks the road that leads to destruction. There is no third alternative. You know, and as we have this time right now to really evaluate and process our life and and really what's going on, I think this scripture is timely for us. And so let me ask, how do we know what path we're on? Again, our text is from Matthew 7, 13 through 23. And, And today as Jesus finishes his sermon, he presents us with indicators of what path we could be on. And he does this by presenting three visuals. And so here's how he illustrates. The first one is this. He he gives us two gates. Two gates. Second, he gives us two trees. And then he gives us two ends. Two gates, two trees, two ends. And so the first one is the two gates. Look at verses 13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Now, how do you or I enter this gate that Jesus talks about? You know, the, the, the wide one or the, the, the narrow one? Well, the first one is this. We need to understand that the wide gate in verse 13, it says, is easy. You see that? It's easy. For for the gate is wide and the way is easy. Now, when it talks about this this word easy, a better translation is spacious, roomy, well-traveled. It's natural to be on this road. We, We don't have to try to be on this road. And so Jesus says, naturally, we are already on it. And this is the road that, or the gate that I call the gate of self-trust. The gate of self-trust. See, see during this time, what, what are we confronted with as we go through um, this time of, of COVID-19? We are presented with this, that we have a lot of self-trust. That, that we've trusted ourselves for a long time. That maybe the reason that you're watching right now is because you've trusted yourself and you said, you know what, I actually need something more. But what we need to understand is this road is, is, is very easy to be on. Now, Sinclair Ferguson, who's a commentator on this text, says this, Jesus is unmasking false appearances. Many people go through the wide gate and, and, and walk along the broad road. They do so for different reasons. Some deliberately reject the way of Christ and, and choose to abandon his moral command or demands. Others simply drift along with the crowd, assuming that there is security in numbers. Jesus is urging us, as we make vital decisions of life, to think things through. Only then will we be undeceived. Right, so, so for a minute, we, we have to, to step back and say, okay, if this is natural, if this is easy, could I be on this road? Now, where does Jesus say that this wide gate leads to? Well, like we talked about earlier, he's trying to help us be undeceived. And he gets us to this point 
where he says, here's where it eventually leads to, destruction. Destruction. Right? We'll, we'll destroy our lives. That, that's the eventual end. Let me illustrate. There's a story um, about a boy. And this boy is walking down a path. And, and at night, he's getting cold and he just wants to get home. Well, as he's walking along this path, he hears some rustling in the bushes. And so he goes over to check it out. In the bush, he finds that there is a snake that's almost dead because of the cold outside. And the snake looks back at him and and says to him, boy, um, if you just warm me up for just a minute, if you'll pick me up, put me in your jacket just for a moment, then I'll be able to survive and then I'll just leave like nothing happened. The boy looks at the snake and says, no way, I'm not going to put a snake in my jacket. But as this boy starts to think about it and the, the, the snake starts to convince him, he, he looks down and he says, okay, fine, I'll, just for a little bit, I'll put you in my jacket. So he picks up the snake, puts, puts it in his jacket, and starts to walk down the path again. Well, as he's walking, he forgets that he has this snake inside of his jacket. And all of a sudden, the snake bites. The boy is on the ground. The poison is pulsing through his veins. And he looks over at the snake. And as the snake is slithering away, the boy yells out to the snake, Snake, I I thought that we were friends. I trusted you. And what happens next is the boy as he's starting to die, the, the, the snake says to him, you knew what I was before you picked me up. And he slithers away. You see, Jesus is telling us that for, for many of us, we're deceived. That this, this wide road is very easy and, and, and it, we get convinced that that's the way to go, but it will lead to destruction. And so about the narrow gate, it says this, For the gate is narrow and the the way is hard that leads to life. The gate that Jesus talks about now is is not easy, it's it's hard. This is the gate of, of trusting God. You see, it's easy to trust in myself. It's easy to put reliance upon myself, but it's hard to trust God. Why? Well, there's a couple reasons. The first one is this, that God's gate is clear cut. It's clear cut. How? Well, God's truth is very specific. Right? You and I live in a very pluralistic society that believes your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. You might believe that right now. But what God says is this. I am very clear about what truth is. And so what he says is it's this. It's his word. And so we don't have to play a guessing game about what truth is, but Jesus says this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. See, truth is not a guessing game. Truth is not an abstract. Truth is a person. It's Jesus. And the way to to understand truth and to understand the gate is to understand that God is clear-cut in in who and and what that is. is. It's Jesus. See, in John 1, it says that Jesus is the Word. Right, so approaching truth is approaching God's word. But second, it's this. The, the, the reason it's hard is as we look at God's word, it's, it's that it's convicting. 
This is why it's hard. It's very convicting. As we've said before, the Bible, you don't just read the Bible, it reads you. And as it starts to read you, you know what comes out? My faults, my failures, my sin. You see, it's hard for us to open up and be honest about our sin, right? It's hard for us to to say, these are my weaknesses. But when we come to the word of God, it, it doesn't mince words with us, but it says, here's your selfishness, my greed, my pride, my envy, my bitterness, my anger, my self-justification, all the excuses that I have. It confronts the belief that I believe many times that I'm in charge of my own life. It convicts me. See, it's hard to confess that I need God. But friends, it's essential. It's essential. The gate is narrow. John Wesley, uh, who was a preacher, once wrote a letter to a young preacher who wanted to know how to preach the gospel. And here's what he said. He says, this is how I preach the gospel when I come to a new place. First, I make a general declaration of the love of God. Secondly, I preach the law as searchingly as as I possibly can. And then only then, when men are beginning to feel the conviction of their own sin and cry out in despair, do I introduce the grace of Jesus Christ. He says, then after they become Christians and they're in danger of lapsing, I reintroduce them to the law. Right, and so it's, it's, it's understanding this, that God loves you so much that he doesn't want to keep you the same, that you are transformed, that you are different because God loves you so much. It's like a father to a child. Right again, my kids, I give them instruction, I love them, and I care for them so that they can be better. And that's what God does with us. But you need to understand this as well. God's gate is not popular. God's gate is not popular. Look at verse 14. Those who find it are few. Those who find it are few. But what's the result? It says that the the word here it says that there's there's life now now this word for life is the word zoane and this is the, here's what it means it's it means real and genuine a life active and vigorous devoted to god blessed those who put their trust in christ here's what it is it is no longer wearing a mask it's no longer acting like or pretending like you are something other than what you truly are We don't have to live any longer in the masquerade, but we can take off the mask and live honestly. We can be our true selves. But it's a narrow gate. Second, two trees. Look at verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, what's Jesus talking about next? He talks about two trees. And the indicator of what tree... We are following, we are trusting in 
is this. It's knowing who you're being influenced by. Okay? Jesus tells us you need to identify who influences you. Okay, this is about the trees. Now, we live in a world that is all about platforms and influencing. In July 2019, Kevin Roos wrote an article in the New York Times entitled, Don't Scoff at Influencers, They're Taking Over the World. Here's what he says. He says, as social media expands its cultural dominance, the people who can steer the online conversation will have an upper hand. He says, I spent three days at VidCon, the annual social media convention in Anaheim, hanging out with a few thousand current and future internet celebrities. And it's increasingly obvious to me that the teenagers and 20-somethings who have mastered these platforms and who are often dismissed as shallow, preening narcissists by adults who don't know any better are going to dominate not just internet culture or the entertainment industry, but society as a whole. Okay, you don't think that what Jesus is saying is relevant to you? It's very relevant to us. See, Jesus warns us to evaluate the source of who is influencing us and to check the fruit of it. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You see, there are various people in our culture saying, this is the way to life. This is what life should look like. Follow my account. Follow me, and I will lead you to life. There are people who are saying, this is the way to God, or this is what your God should be. But this text is warning us that we must be discerning about who we trust. We, we must look at the fruit of the tree that we're putting our trust in and we're being influenced by. And here's the thing, that even goes for people who claim to be Christians. Okay, this, this is where it's very important. In Acts 20, 29 through 31, the apostle Paul warned the people. Here's what he says. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. What is the motivation behind the influencers that the Apostle Paul's talking about that Jesus is warning us about? It's the motivation of drawing people to themselves drawing people to themselves. It's all about more followers, more likes. Friends, we don't have a shortage of content and people that are vying for our attention to follow them, right? But what Jesus is saying is this. Before you do that, evaluate what their life is like. Evaluate what their teaching is. Evaluate who they're drawing you to. For me, how do I evaluate the teaching that I'm influenced by? Well, I ask this. Is this teaching man-centered? Is this more about the speaker or the person? Somebody saying, okay, look at how awesome they are. And them just kind of pumping up themselves? Or is it Christ-centered? 
Is, is Jesus the hero of this? Is it drawing me closer to Christ? Am I starting to hear the words of Jesus through this? Friends, like I said, there are many ways that Jesus says that we can just put on that sheep's cloak. But are people drawing you, where are they drawing you to and where are they influencing you to? Next, what else should we be watchful for? Well, Jesus gives us a couple more specifics and he starts with number one, fruit. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Just like in nature, a tree will eventually grow and show itself for what it is. And here's what Jesus is saying. Your life and character will either grow and produce good fruit or bad fruit. This is important. There has never been a culture that has valued giftedness over character than our society today. Right, giftedness. We, we put that before character. But what Jesus says is this. He says it's actually character before any type of giftedness. And what this leads to in, in, in our culture in particular is this. More and more people being deceived and hurt over time. More and more people being deceived and hurt over time. See, the early church understood this verse because they said this. They, they had this document called the Didact, and Didact just means teaching. It's also known as the teaching of the 12 apostles. It's a document dated uh, back to the second century. And in it uh, is this statement. But not everyone who speaks in the Spirit is a prophet, except he have the behavior of the Lord except that he have the behavior of the Lord. Okay, what is the behavior of the Lord? Well, Galatians 5, through 23 says this, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I was just on a call this past week uh, w- with a pastor, Pastor Eugene Cho, who was talking about uh, just specifically, and I'm gonna get into this a little bit more, but he was talking specifically about leaders in the church and he says about a quarter of them will not even be following Christ anymore at the end. We're talking about running the race to the end. A quarter of them won't even be following Christ. Right, so what we're talking about here is, is the fruit of a tree and that it will be eventually show itself for what it is over time. Uh, the, the second point is this, it's health. Verse 17, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Again, listening to that call with Eugene Cho, um, he's a pastor, author, speaker. He said that he he gave this stat that just, just blew me away. In 2005 and 2006, they did this survey of pastor, at a pastoral conference. Over a thousand were there. It was an anonymous survey. And here's the results. 90% said they were frequently fatigued weekly. Fatigued weekly. 89% considered leaving the ministry at one time. 57% would leave if they had a better opportunity. 72%, the only time they studied the Bible was sermon or Bible study prep. It's the only time they read the Bible. 77% said they did not have a good marriage. This is a pastor conference. Did not have a good marriage. 38% divorced. We're in the process of divorce. 
30% said they had an ongoing affair or had cheated on their spouse. Okay, we're talking about a pastoral conference here. We're talking about leaders. Right, and what, what this is telling us is this. Jesus is saying, that's not healthy. That's not healthy. And for many of us, we have fallen into the trap of a culture that seeks gifted influencers with a lot of followers instead of healthy lives. And so where does healthy fruit come from? Well, Jesus tells us very specifically in John 15, four through five, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Can't do this, right? You can't do this on your own. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we're talking about these two paths right now, and Jesus is saying, okay, like, which one are you on? Which fruit are you bearing right now? Because you can't bear real fruit without me. It's only in Christ that you can actually bear fruit. And so what this is, again, it's calling us back to the narrow gate and say, will you depend on God? Will you trust God? Because Jesus is saying, you will bear no fruit apart from me. Right, nothing good can come from my life or your life truly like from a, that, that place of goodness and health if I'm not in him, if I'm not in him. Francis Turretin said this, he says, Christ is the true tree of life. Truly, he is the only tree because no one except Christ is the author of eternal life, nor is there salvation in any other, Acts 4.12. And so lastly, it's this. This is important. Two ends. Jesus says, not every one of you who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that, that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now this scripture in particular should be very, um, it, it should scare us. It should scare us. Because this section of scripture, Jesus is saying some really, um, I mean, it just really hits you. Here's what he's saying. The first one is this. He's saying, verse 21, they say to me, right? So we're gonna have people at the end, right? They get to the end of their life, the end of the road. And they know that Jesus is Lord. They know that Jesus is Lord. You see it, verse 21, they say to me, they say to Christ, like, so they know that he's Lord. Because the next verse, it says this, verse 21, Lord, Lord. Here's what we need to understand about the scriptures. When it, when it puts... Uh, two of the same word next to each other, there's an emphasis, there's an emotional response that's happening here. This is emotion. Lord, Lord. They're making an emotional appeal to Jesus. Verse 22, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? Here's the thing. They did, they did work for Jesus. 
right? They did things for Jesus. This is if we were looking back at that room of the good intentions, these are people with masks that, that said, look at all these things I did for you. But here's what, what, it, what, what Jesus is exposing. They use Jesus' name more as a platform than as a place of worship. It's a platform. Right, like I, I was doing all these things for you, Jesus. But it wasn't a personal relationship because that's what it gets down to next, right? Jesus' response, verse 23, and when I declare to them, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Timothy Keller says this, he's not saying, who are you? He's God, right? You're, you're not on any of the lists I had here. He doesn't say that. Of course, he knows who they are. He says, I don't know you. The word know means I have never had a relationship with you. I've never had a relationship with you. Right? This is calling us out. If you've been in church your whole life, or if you've known about Jesus your whole life, but he doesn't know you, what he's talking about is this. He's inviting you into a relationship with, it, with him, a personal relationship with the God of the universe, right? That, that's the end. It's either you have a personal relationship or you don't. It will either lead to life or it doesn't. And so I'm just pleading with you today, like as we look at this, entering the kingdom and the end that Jesus is talking about is personally knowing him, right? Knowing, not just knowing about him, but knowing him personally. Psalm 84.10 says this, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Right, like I would rather know God and be like the lowest of the low, like I'm just hanging out at the door, opening the door, right? I'm a doorkeeper, this is a guy who was a king. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than personally not know him and be out on the path of destruction. And so just some takeaways. As we, as we look at this scripture and really as we evaluate our lives and kind of where we're at right now, it's this. Let me ask you, which gate have you entered? Right, as I look at my life, I have to ask, which gate have I entered? Now the scripture is very helpful for us when it gives us this wide and narrow view. Because here's what happens. As you enter that wide gate, usually what happens in your life is this. It just starts to close in more and more and more and more and more. You're going to lose things along the way. It's not going to last. That that road, that gate of self-trust just does not lead anywhere. It just closes in on you. Looked wide, looked like everybody was on it, but then you're just kind of going in this direction. But what happens as you follow Christ into that narrow way of trusting him, of trusting his word, of trusting who he is, is this. It's, it's very narrow at first, but what happens is it's life and it starts to open up for you. Your life starts to open up. Right? Are you experiencing the openness and the freedom in life that only Christ can offer? Because every step that you take, he's taking off the chains. 
He's taking off the regrets. He's taking off the shame. He's taking off all of those things that have hindered us for so long in our lives. As you step in Christ, he is freeing you and your life starts to open up. But you gotta go through the narrow gate. You gotta go through the narrow gate. Second, it's this. Who's my primary influencer? Who's my primary influencer? Right, right. Am I being influenced towards Christ? Because ultimately, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. Um, he, he says that, um, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And, and there are people who will try and deceive you and make you think that, oh, you, you're just following them. But they're not pointing you to Christ. They're pointing you to themselves. And so I need to ask you, wh- wh- where, where are you being led to? Are you being led to a closer, more intimate relationship with Jesus? Is that where you're being influenced towards? Because I challenge you to take, take some time. And maybe this is what you need to do. You need to do, you need to do some social distancing from your social media. Okay, do some social distancing from your social media. One of the things we're encouraging is Sabbath, Saturday, just take some time away. Right, take some personal time away. And really start to evaluate, okay, where am I being influenced towards? Because there are a lot of directions that you can be influenced towards right now. And so my encouragement is this, evaluate. Really think about it. What's the fruit that's coming from those things? Is it more isolation? Is it depression? Is it the comparison trap? Is that what the fruit is that's coming out of your life because you're on social media and you're being influenced by all these people and you're saying, man, this person is so cool, I need to just follow them? Or are you being influenced in a way where there's fruit that's coming from your life that's good, that's helpful, that's healthy, right, healthy? That's what we want. Lastly, does Jesus know me? Does Jesus know me? That's the most important question I can ask you today. Does he know me? Right, like when I see him face to face, do I have a personal relationship with him? Do I know him more? You know, the best way that you can get to know Christ more is through his word. I encourage you, like, if you don't have a Bible, we will send you a Bible in the mail. You send us your your address, we will send you a Bible. But we, we want you to know Christ personally. One of the things that I did uh, this past week is I, I just had my, my girls, they, they, they're kind of uh, getting to this point where they're getting older. I had them pick out a Bible on Amazon. I said, okay, I want you to personally get a Bible for yourself. Why? Because I want them to personally know Jesus. Right, so for you, you, you might have that access right now to, to Amazon and you say, I don't even have a Bible. Get a Bible that you're excited about and start to read. Start to jump in to get to know who Christ is because Here's the thing, he's not hiding himself, right? He, he, he wants to be known. That's why he's given us his word. That's why he's given us opportunities to pray. That's why he's given us venues like this right now to talk about him. Do you know him? There's a key discovery from the Center of, for Bible Engagement Research that, that said uh, the life of someone who engages scripture four more times a week looks radically different from the life of someone who does not. In fact, the lives of Christians who do not engage the Bible most days of the week are statistically the same as the lives of non-believers, like people who don't trust in Christ. Are you trusting in Christ? Do you know him? Does he know you? And so lastly, how do, I, how, how do we get to the path of life? 
Well, John 10, 7 says this, I am the gate for the sheep. You know who's speaking? Jesus. You want to know where the gate is? You want to know what it is? Jesus says, I am the gate. I'm the gate. John 15, 1 says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. You want to know where that tree is? You want to know where the vine to get connected to is? Jesus is the vine. Jesus. Revelation twenty two thirteen says this, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Here's the thing. Jesus is the end. And so the greatest way in which I can help you to get to this path is this, is introducing you to Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that Jesus wasn't just a man who walked the earth. He is God in the flesh. See, God did not wait for us to come to him, but God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ from heaven to earth. Why? For you, for me. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. It's been said before, you will not appreciate the cross until you see that the reason the cross was there was because of me, because of you, right? Because of us. We put him there. But why did he do it? It's because God loves you. He loves you. And, and, and at the end of the day, he is inviting you because it says that on the third day he rose again to life. He is inviting you to the path of life today. And you'll find that when you find that it's the person of Jesus Christ. He's God and he came for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word today. In all that we're going through and all that we're facing with COVID-19, with really having to face where we are in life right now, evaluating what some of the priorities are that we've placed in our lives, kind of the fruit that's coming from our lives. Like, what, are, are we healthy or not? Having to face that. Say, what, what direction are we going? What's the end look like? I pray that today we, we understand that, Jesus, you, you already have the greatest solution. There's eternal life in you. And that you've invited all to come. To come. To come to you. And so I pray that today, if there's anyone who's really wrestling with all of this, being influenced by a lot of different people and places and, and things to do, that we will really focus in this time and come to you personally and know that, Jesus, you're enough. Now we can find life in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.